Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by my favorite college in America, Hillsdale College, which proudly refuses every penny of government funding to remain independent. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. I'm fascinated, I really am, by hearing 25, 30, 32-year-olds who know very little about even recent European military history, very little about World War II, very little about 100, 150 years ago in European history, all of which involves Russia and Ukraine and Poland and Romania, the Balkan states, and on and on and on, telling us what our foreign policy should be. And they all say the same thing, like the, like the Marxist left. They repeat the same thing. How long is this going to go on? I hate to tell these millennials, we don't know. It's not a video game. How much money are we going to spend? Whatever money we spend, we need to make sure it goes where it's supposed to go. So it's not abused and frivolously used, but these wars do involve military equipment. And why is it any of our business? I don't know. Was it any of our business? When Italy invaded North Africa? When Japan invaded China? When the Third Reich invaded the Sudetenland and Austria and part of the Czechoslovakia Republic and so forth? Well, back then, we decided it wasn't any of our business. That it wasn't any of our business. Were we right? So these military machines build up, all three, the Axis powers. They built these alliances. Hitler was a big fan of Mussolini. Tojo was a big fan of himself. And the rest is history. But do we know the history? I think that's an important question. One man who says he knows history and has spent a lot of time studying it is Vladimir Putin. And I've mentioned this before. Even though it's a heavy read. He put out an opinion piece in the Russian media, picked up by the European media, on July 12, 2021, a year and a half ago. And he laid out what he thought would be his persuasive case for greater Russia. He's a big fan. He admires Peter the Great. He admires the early czars. Talks about greater Russia. But in this piece, if you take your time and unravel it, 
He's talking about Russia, that Ukraine and Russia are the same thing. That there are lands in Romania, territory that are Russian. There are lands or territory in Poland that are Russian. He mentions Lithuania, a Balkan state, that are Russian. And he says there have been endless efforts by the West to detach Russia from its historic territories. And he said, during the high period of the Soviet Union, he said there were republics within the Soviet Union, but the Soviet Union was a single country. So, while there were these borders, they were never considered separate state or separate country borders. Just various republics within the Soviet Union, like states. The problem is most of those republics consider themselves captive nations. And that Putin's history is bogus. Putin was not going to stop at Ukraine. He tells us this. Poland is probably the most aggressive country, Poland and Romania and the Balkan states. They are the most aggressive countries trying to provide whatever military support they have, whatever military they have, to the Ukrainians. Because they believe they're next. And they do not believe that NATO and the United States will protect them or defend them. We know this from the Prime Minister of Poland himself. Other countries like Sweden want to join NATO. Why? Because Putin says even parts of Sweden really belong to Ukraine. And Ukraine belongs to Russia. To greater Russia. Finland. Which was a neutral country during World War II is scared to death. Why are these countries so worried? Because they know their history and they know their experience with the Russians. And Putin keeps bringing it up. So people who say, this is very important to understand. This isn't about globalism or neoconservatism, whatever that is, or warmonger. So people are saying, here's Ukraine which had 44 million people and has 25% less now. That is fighting. The people are fighting. They're not surrendering. It's not Afghanistan. They are fighting. They are not surrendering. They're saying we just need the arms to fight them. Because their arms 
Their most sophisticated weapons were drained out of the country by the Russians in 1994 and beyond. And so they, they barely had their own army. Barely had their own air force. They don't have any nuclear weapons. So they can't make threats the way Russia does. And so these are people who are fighting and dying because they want to be free of Russia. And Putin has written, it's all out there in the public record, that this isn't really a war against the Ukrainian people, it's a war against, you know, Zelensky and the Nazis and all the rest of it. But the public record also shows that he wants to destroy the Ukrainian people, much the way Stalin starved out the Ukrainian people and killed three to six million of them in one year. The Ukrainians aren't stupid. They know what's on their border. They know what they're dealing with. This war has been going on for what will be one year on February 24th, I believe. Russia invaded Ukraine, not the other way around. Ukraine is not attacking Russian cities. Ukraine is not capturing Russian civilians and moving them into concentration camps and slave labor. Ukraine has not destroyed <clears throat> Russian, Russia's ability to create energy, and on and on and on. Ukraine is the victim and yet the Ukrainians are fighting back in ways that nobody expect they would or could, with or without weapons. These are people with a long history. The Poles are doing everything they can to back the Ukrainians because they know the Ukrainians are effectively fighting for them. The Romanians know the same thing. The Baltic states know the same thing. as do most of the other countries in Eastern Europe, particularly the ones that ring Ukraine. Moldavia is scared to death, tiny little country with a police force. can be gobbled up in an afternoon. When people say, how do you know Putin will do this? They're the same people who say Putin keeps threatening us with nukes. Well, how do they know he'll do that? Well, what if he does? He won't. But he will, if he can cut through Ukraine, continue, in my opinion. Because Joe Biden demonstrated to him in his surrender in Ukraine that he will not confront Putin at the NATO line. He will not do it. I find most of the people who play stupid when it comes to Russia and Ukraine or who cherry-picked the information to make Ukraine look bad and Russia look like the victim, that most of these people don't believe in NATO either. That though most of these people don't believe that we should be helping South Korea either. That most of these people don't believe that we should be helping the state of Israel either. Which is understandable. It is a consistent 
illogic, if you will. A consistent illogic. Now you say China's now going to be helping Russia. China's always been helping Russia. The Biden administration's been covering it up. But China's also working with Iran. China's also in our hemisphere. China's also has a navy that's bigger than ours. China's also trying to take over the South China Sea, where five to six trillion dollars in economic activity take place. China's threatening Japan. China's threatening the Philippines. China's threatening even Vietnam has come to us. And of course, they're threatening Taiwan. China will help Russia if China thinks it's in its own strategic best interest. Period. And I think it does think so. Much the way Japan and Italy and Germany made an alliance. We're not responsible for it. We didn't cause it. We didn't provoke it. The people of Ukraine deserve our thanks rather than the other way around. It is amazing to me how much people say we're spending in Ukraine, which is a lot, by the way. But it's nothing close to the amount of money we spend in this country and waste in redistribution of wealth, pursuing Marxist agendas, left-wing groups, destroying our own economy, destroying our own energy independence, and on and on and on. And it amazes me when they say, we should be spending this money in our own country. No, we should be slashing the money we spend in our own country. Slashing it. Because the vast majority of you don't see a dime of it. It's not for you. And the idea that if we get out of Ukraine, we're suddenly going to build a southern border, it's just stupid. It's, Ill- it's insane. Nothing stops us from doing it today. It is the Ukrainians who are preventing World War III right now. The Ukrainians who are standing up to the Russians and preventing their T-tanks, their Tiger tanks from rolling through Ukraine into Poland, rolling through Ukraine into Romania, rolling through Ukraine into the Balkan states. It is the Ukrainians who are preventing it. What evidence do I have? I have my number one witness, Vladimir Putin. That's the evidence I have. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? 
Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Does anybody know who Wajahat Ali is? He's said to be an author. Wajahat Ali. And he's on MSNBC today. And I must confess, I don't have the foggiest idea who this guy is, but he must be important. He's on MSNBC. Like the important hosts and guests... And you see all the turmoil over at the Constipated News Network with Sour Lemon. He's maybe on the way out because of his uh, endless stream of stupidity. Well, Sour Lemon is multiplied by 10 over there at MSLSD. That is the network with the lowest IQ and the most racists. No question about it. Much more than CNN. So they have this Wajahat, actually, Wajahat Ali. And I want you to listen to what Wajahat Ali has to say and then ask yourself, why does MSNBC, its sister NBC, and its ownership at Comcast allow this? Why do they, in my opinion, allow blatant racism day in and day out by their hosts? And their guests. Cut 10, go. Uh, to quote Zora Neale Hurston, not all skin folk are kin folk. Uh, Nikki Haley instead is the Dinesh D'Souza of Candace Owens. She's the alpha Karen with brown skin. <laughs> and for white supremacists and racists, she's the perfect Manchurian candidate. And instead of applauding her, I am just disgusted by people like Nikki Haley who know better, whose parents were the beneficiaries, as Asha said, of the 1965 Immigration Nationality Act, which passed thanks to those original BLM protesters and the Civil Rights Act. Her father came here because he was a professor. He taught at a historically black college in South Carolina. That's how she became the proud American that she is. And yet, what does she do like all these model minorities, which by the way, is a strategy of white supremacy to use Asians in particular as a cudgel against black folks. Instead of pulling us up from the bootstraps and pulling others from the bootstrap, we're taught to take your boot and put it on the neck of poor browns, immigrants, refugees, and black folks. And that's what she did in her ad. So I see her and I feel sad, Mehdi because she uses her brown skin as a weapon against poor black folks and poor brown folks, and she uses her brown skin to launder white supremacist talking points. And the reason why I feel sad, because no matter what she does, Mehdi, it'll never be enough. They'll never love her. So ladies and gentlemen, this is what, in part, I wrote about in American Marxism. She might be brown. Like Dinesh D'Souza. And there are black people with black skin. And there are Asian people. And there are Latino people. And unless you're down for the revolution, unless you're some kind of Marxist, well, you're not really a minority. You're an uncle fill-in-the-blank, an aunt fill-in-the-blank. What did he call her, a Karen or something? 
She's the Alpha Karen with brown skin. For white supremacists and racists. Now you need to understand the code language now. White supremacists and racists are white people. They're not talking about the Klan. They're not talking about neo-Nazis. They're talking about white people generally. You're a white supremacist. There's all CRT and all the rest of the crap. But this guy is a guest today. And he's chosen because of his bigotry and racism, in my view. Anti-white racism is in. It's in big. And you don't have to be white to experience it. Nikki Haley's not white. And so people like Wajahat Ali are especially angry at the Nikki Haley's of the world. Furious. Because they benefited, you know, from the radical left revolutionary Marxists and now they turn their backs on them they act like white privileged people I want you to hear this one more time it's that important and that a major American corporation Comcast a major network is spewing this absolute filth go ahead uh, to quote Zora Neale Hurston not all skin folk or kinfolk. Uh, Nikki Haley instead is the Dinesh D'Souza of Candace Owens. She's the alpha Karen with brown skin. And for white supremacists and racists, she's the perfect Manchurian candidate. And instead of applauding her, I am just disgusted by people like Nikki Haley who know better, whose parents were the beneficiaries, as Asha said, of the 1965 Immigration Nationality Act, which passed thanks to those original BLM protesters and the Civil Rights Act. Her father came here because he was a professor. He taught at a historically black college in South Carolina. That's how she became the proud American that she is. And yet, what does she do like all these model minorities, which, by the way, is a strategy of white supremacy to use Asians in particular as a cudgel against black folks. Instead of pulling us up from the bootstraps and pulling others from the bootstrap, we're taught to take your boot and put it on the neck of poor browns, immigrants, refugees, and black folks. And that's what she did in her ad. So I see her and I feel sad, Mehdi. Because she uses her brown skin as All a right, weapon. Shut up, a hole. Shut up, you bigoted buffoon. Let's take a look. Look at the people trying to get into this country from every corner of the globe. They're not coming from Sweden. They're not coming from Switzerland. They're not coming from Germany, Australia, or Austria. They're coming from south of the border. They're coming from the continent of Africa. They're coming from the Middle East, Southeast Asia, China. We are the most diverse population in this country on the face of the world. I can't think of another country that's as diverse as the United States. I can't think of another country that's as beneficent as the United States when it comes to immigration. Even well before Biden, what we have now is absolute anarchy. I can't think of another country on the face of the earth that has a constitution that compels equal treatment. I didn't say equal results. Equal treatment. And a court system that attempts to apply it. I can't think of another. What do you mean this? 
Asians, the Asians, especially the Asians are used against black people. Asians aren't used against anybody. In fact, it is the radical left, the white radical left Democrats who are discriminating against Asians. Ask those who've tried to get into Harvard lately. Ask those who've been graduating from the most, you know, superior public school systems where they have their National Merit Scholarship Awards held back. Ask them. Ask them. And the sickening irony of this is these bigots and racists, in my view, they do enormous harm to black people and brown people. Enormous. Enormous. To quote Zora Neale Hurston. Really? Not all skin folk are kin folk. So if you're not white, Whatever that means. And you don't think like this man. Then you're not black or brown or yellow or red either. Your mind is white. That's what he means. That's what I've told you he means. And people like him mean on the left. This is the use of race to drive ideology. That's what it is. It's the use of race to drive Marxism. You can hear how dangerous this man is and would be if he had a position of power. There's no debate. There's no challenge. You're either in with him or there's something desperately wrong with you. Look how he speaks at Dinesh D'Souza and others. It's just outrageous. So guys, guys like this, I guess he's some kind of pseudo-scholar, Mr. Producer, or something. He's probably tenured somewhere, I guess. But he should be shamed. And yet there he is on TV. And he's not alone. We have a conga line of maniacs, in my view, like this, who spew their poison and their hate, who spread their cancer. You have to wonder. They talk about uniting the country. How the hell do you unite a country with this kind of programming from Wajahat Ali on MSNBC? How do you unite the country? You don't. And they, they, they demand ideological conformity. They demand it. And the hate for the United States is so deep and so broad, it's really unbelievable. It's truly unbelievable. And if they continue along this path and have their way as an aggregate, we're done. We're finished. And whatever fantastic paradise they have in mind for all of you, of all backgrounds, will be a living hell. There's no question about it. Mark. You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. It's time to take note, America, of those who are our so-called leaders and those who wish to be our so-called leaders. And it's this. There are two countries 
where there's a potential war. Russia and China. The great direct threat to us is communist China. So let me talk about that first. It is important for you to take note of which congressmen, which senators, which presidents, which would-be presidents, presidential candidates, get this right. You know, after the attack on Pearl Harbor, people asked, well, how could this happen? We have the experience of Pearl Harbor. The experience of Pearl Harbor and other attacks on the United States to guide us. Now's the time for real leadership. Now's the time for real statesmen. And I'm not seeing too many of them, quite frankly. Which candidate today, among the Republicans, announced or unannounced, is insisting that we significantly increase defense spending without a whole bunch of footnotes about, well, we got to make sure this. Which one? None that I'm aware of. Zero. Which one? It's very unpopular today with all the problems we face from inflation, from the open border, critical race theory, what's going on with our children, the difficulty for so many people in this country to make ends meet. But that's when you need real leaders and real statesmen. Prior to the attack on Pearl Harbor, our grandparents and great-grandparents were in the Great Depression. Were they made of stronger stuff than the rest of us? Because I'm starting to think in many cases, yes. Yes. But in many cases, no, also. We had the same kind of movement with Democrats and Republicans prior to us being attacked at Pearl Harbor. And isolationism, a pacifism, even in the face of Imperial Japan rising, conquering, even in the face of fascist Italy rising and conquering, even in the face of Nazi Germany rising, conquering, spreading. We have to accept for reality what's taking place. Not to start a war, but to protect us. This is not a priority. With senators, it's not a priority. With Chuck Schumer, who runs the Senate, it's not a priority. With Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader, hasn't been a priority for decades. And as best as I can tell, it's not a priority with many, many people who many of you support in the House of Representatives. Well, we're pushing wokeism. Well, we're doing that. I got it. But that's not an excuse to accept defeat. 
should a war break out? The logic is unbelievable. Our borders open, so we should be pacifists and isolationists. We have the lousiest generals and admirals one can think of out of the Pentagon anyway. And so we should flatline our defense spending. No, we should remove the generals and admirals as soon as we can. I heard Donald Trump talk about this the other day. Maybe it was today in a video that he released. But here's the point. Is anybody who wants to be president, forget about the idiot who's in the Oval Office, anybody going to speak out on the Republican side in a coherent and comprehensive way about the need to rebuild our military? There is no way the communist Chinese should have more ships than we have. No way. We used to have a 600-ship Navy under Reagan. It's now under 300 ships. Under 300 ships. With more obligations and more responsibilities throughout the world. We're running out of ammunition because of the Russia, the Russia's war on Ukraine? And so the answer is what? To cut off Ukraine? No, the answer is we need to build up our industrial ability to manufacture what we need, whether it's to help Ukraine, but most importantly, to help ourselves. Recruitment in the United States Armed Forces is at a record low. We're missing our targets. We don't have enough pilots, for God's sakes. Who among the Republicans is leading the charge on this? Nobody. Because they're scared. Of you. Not you, you, but you know what I mean. This is cyclical, that we're in a period of pacifism. The enemy knows it. The enemy knows our history. The enemy's on the rise. And they intend to take advantage of this and exploit it. The admiral in charge of our naval forces in the Pacific. He again has warned today, we are not sufficiently prepared. Should China invade Taiwan, we are not sufficiently prepared. Should China take out a U.S. vessel? And nobody knows this better than Xi, the communist Chinese. What are we doing? People can throw around names, Warhawk, Neocons, Chicken, whatever. I am behind this microphone. I think I have a public responsibility to help protect our liberty and your children and your grandchildren. These wars, big wars, big wars with big powers and big weapons. Not using satellite wars or proxy wars. Direct wars are monstrous. 
your children and grandchildren. Won't be a volunteer army. It'll be a draft. Monstrous. We should do everything we can to avoid this. But we should never surrender our liberty. That should never be the choice. Our enemies should fear us. They should fear that we are so powerful. With the biggest navy on the face of the earth. More planes and pilots. Plenty of ammunition to take care of whatever we need to take care of. That they don't even dare think about. Taking us on directly or indirectly. But that's not where we are today. So who are the great leaders and statesmen? On this issue. Where are they? Then we turn to Russia. This is embarrassing. The number of people in this country and in the Republican Party and pseudo-intellectuals and pseudo-conservatives who pretend that Russia is benign is shocking. How many of you have relatives, direct bloodlines, who fought in World War II in Europe? I do. Do you? Most of you do. Well, we're not imperialists. We're not colonialists. We didn't take all that land and keep it to ourselves. We gave it back. We helped build up these countries through the Marshall Plan. We didn't take Patton's advice and turn our guns on Russia. I heard some guy, Jerry somebody or other, who the host called a superstar for the Wall Street Journal. I don't know him. It's a British accent. And he said Russia would never invade Poland or a NATO country. It just wants Ukraine. And we know that because it invaded Ukraine. Now, this had to be one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. In order to get to Poland, they pretty much have to go through Ukraine. But why don't they listen to what Vladimir Putin says? Why don't they read what he's written? Just to, just to blow this off, to broom it, like, well, no, it's not an issue, it's not going to happen. The fact of the matter is, that is his plan. And you know who knows it? The Polish Prime Minister knows it. The Romanian Prime Minister knows it. The leader of Finland knows it. The leader of Sweden knows it. The leaders of the Balkan states know it. That's why they're providing everything they have to the Ukrainians. The Ukrainian people are fighting for their survival. And they're doing a hell of a job. How many people have we given weapons to where we've actually had to fight their wars? We don't have to fight the Ukrainian defense against the Russians. They're fighting it themselves. And if we stop supporting them, they will lose. They will be massacred. And the Russians will line up their tanks and anything else they have on the border with these other countries. 
They know it. The Russians know it. History tells us so. But why would you chance it? The Russians are bogged down in Ukraine. Nobody thought it was possible but the Ukrainians. They're bogged down in Ukraine. They've had, I've read, 60,000, 100,000 casualties. And then I hear Republicans positioning themselves, trying to figure out what to say about this. And they have mostly settled on, we've spent enough money, we don't have a plan for ending the war, this can't go on forever, it's going on one year. So... We need to withdraw our funds. Then what happens? Russia rolls through Ukraine. Then what happens? They have no idea. None. Apparently they don't care. They haven't thought it out. But they know that many of you, even though we haven't lost anybody in that war, that you don't want to do it anymore. What does China say when we do this? China says they think Ukraine's tough. Wait until they see what we do with Taiwan. What does Iran say? Okay, now's the time. Attack Israel. In other words, people who claim to be concerned about war and provocation will create World War III and endless provocations. Peace through strength. What do you think that means? Reagan started it. Trump picked up on it. Peace through strength. It's not peace through appeasement. Peace through pacifism. Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Well, ladies and gentlemen... I want to get into this foreman, this Emily Coors, the things she has said and what she's doing. Uh, She was on the special grand jury, as you know, that was set up by the Democrat district attorney, elected district attorney, uh, to try and go after Donald Trump and a number of people around him in an unprecedented move. But before I do, as I... I've been watching the coverage of this East Palestine, Ohio community, which is a relatively poor community, a majority white community, a blue-collar community. It's interesting how that affects the coverage. Have you noticed? Nobody's talking about environmental justice or environmental equity. Have you noticed that, Mr. Producer? Even though the trains go right through this community, go right through it, including with toxic chemicals, nobody has even attempted, including me, I'm just making a point, to racialize this as the usual bigots and racists on TV and other aspects of the media do. 
You don't see white privilege here, quote unquote. So it doesn't fit the, the modern narrative. That's where a different type of community you'd be hearing all of this. In the pages of the New York Slimes and the Washington Compost, on the Constipated News Network, on MSLSD, it'd be day in and day out, there'd be headlines, and Joe Biden would have been there already. And he would have been there attacking, attacking economic injustice, environmental injustice, big business. But there's nothing in it for him. These people tend to vote Republican. The congressman there is Republican. There's nothing in it for him. So we're on day 20 or so, and he's not there. And of course, we know that Buttigieg is not there. The APA administrators made two trips, one to drink water and say, see, it's clean. Now they say they're sending in the EPA to do the cleanup. The EPA doesn't do cleanups. The EPA hires people to do cleanup. The EPA is based in Washington, D.C. It's a top-heavy bureaucracy like all the rest. Like all the rest. There are no civil rights activists to speak for these people. There are no columnists at the New York Times and the Washington Post to speak for these people. Oh, you'll get a column here and there, I suppose. But no steady drumbeat, nothing. And the Secretary of Transportation who's constantly talking about equity and environmental justice and so forth, as I said, he hasn't found his way there yet. Vice President hasn't found her way there yet because they can't make political hay out of this. In fact, they would be criticized for failing to act and act quickly to do something about this. The division in our country, the abuse and maltreatment of people comes from the Democrat Party, comes from the federal government. President Trump, obviously he was there today in East Palestine, and he brought several trucks filled with bottled water. And he spoke to the people there. And the media say it's a press event. Joe Biden goes to Kiev, that's fine by me, walks through the streets, all of a sudden the sirens go off, He doesn't even cover his ears. He never misses a shuffle. Secret service is nowhere to be found. The Russians were told three hours ahead he'd be there. So they knew when to run the sirens. He didn't come under fire. Just a Beshlov historian. Like Lincoln did. Like Madison did. He didn't come under fire. It's in a war zone. Walk through North Philadelphia. Walk through cities all over the country. Even some suburbs. 
Those are war zones. I wasn't planning to start off with this, but I've just decided that somebody has to say what's so obvious. So I will. Now, we have the grand jury foreman who is on a media blitz going from event to event, media interview to media interview. Something's not right with her. I don't know what it is. Something's not right with her. But when you listen to her, what you conclude or what I conclude is this entire so-called special grand jury was a clown show. She was the foreman. It's a clown show. And so we will play some of this audio because the DA in this case had to know the foreman was a clown. She didn't pick the foreman, but she had to know what was going on. She runs the damn grand jury. She's an elected Democrat, Atlanta. And they want to indict a number of Republican legislators. They may be gunning for Rudy Giuliani. They might be gunning for Trump. And I would say this to all of those individuals. It is my humble opinion that it's now abundantly clear that you cannot get a fair trial should you be charged. With all the publicity coming from the foreman, a 30-year-old kook of the special grand jury set up and effectively run by the Democrat-elected district attorney. I would also demand an investigation of the forewoman and an ethics investigation of the prosecutor to determine whether she took appropriate action to shut the foreman down. This has been going on for 72 hours. What steps did she take to stop the foreman from doing media appearances? Whatever steps she took, they clearly weren't effective because it went on like a a Jerry Lewis marathon. She's out there making a mockery of the entire system. She's laughing. She's joking and the media participating. Is that justice in America now? I want you to listen to some of this. This is on CNN. Her name is Emily Coors. This is the grand jury in the state of Georgia. Cut one, go. Did you personally want to hear from the former president? I wanted to hear from the former president, but honestly, I kind of wanted to subpoena the former president because I got to swear everybody in. And so I thought it'd be really cool to get 60 seconds with President Trump of me looking at him and being like, do you solemnly swear? And me getting to swear him in? I just, I kind of just thought that would be an awesome moment. I can see how trying to get the former president to come talk to us would have been a year in negotiation by itself. So it sounds like that was ultimately (laughs) a battle that you all decided not to wage. Exactly. That's... It's kind of how it ended up was that and 
I'd be fascinated by what he said, but do you think he would have come in and said anything groundbreaking or just the same kind of thing we've heard? So at some point, you don't need to hear 50 people say the same thing. Mm. You know what I mean? At some point, you kind of start to get the gist. <laughs> None of this is supposed to be discussed in public in any just and ethical system. And I would argue this is prejudicial. We wanted to hear what he had to say, but we didn't bother because he'd be too difficult to get. I wanted to look him in the face, you know, get 60 seconds with him. So he would solemnly swear to tell the truth. I wanted to look at him. But we didn't bother negotiating because it would have taken too long. Cut to go. After everything that you've seen, what would your reaction be if the DA decides against bringing any charges after what you've seen? I will be sad if nothing happens. Like that's, that's about my only request there is, is for something to happen. I don't necessarily know what it is. I'm not the legal expert. I'm not the judge. I'm not the lawyers. But I, I will be frustrated if nothing happens. This was too much. Too much information, too much of my time, too much of everyone's time, too much of their time. Too much argument in, in court about getting people to appear before us. There was just too much for this to just be, oh, okay, we're good, bye. And if it was just a perjury charge, or perjury charges, would that be acceptable to you? That's fine. I will be happy as long as something happens. Unbelievable. I'll be happy. Something needs to happen. Look, you know, I'm no expert on this stuff. I was just the jury foreman. But all the time and effort and resources we put into this, all the court arguments we put into this, just too much to just say goodbye. So the DA needs to do something, which the only thing the DA can do is make a charge or not. I will be happy as long as something happens. Something needs to happen. Can you imagine your freedom is left to somebody like this? And that was yesterday. And we're not aware of anything that the district attorney has done over the course of the last two or three days to put an end to this. And she should have put an end to it the very first time that this special grand jury foreman showed her face. She's 30 years old on TV. Cut three, go. We do know, of course, one of the biggest questions remaining for everyone that wasn't in that jury room with you is how many people are in trouble here? What can you tell us about how many people you recommended as a group to face indictments? Now, this reporter, Kate Baldoon, she will be praised by her fellow corrupt journalists for participating in the corruption of the process. We don't do this to mass murderers. We don't do this to terrorists. Not a single reporter has raised the ethics issues. 
related to something like this? Not one. Why is that? Well, we know why that is. Because they don't seek justice. They seek the hangman's noose. That's what they seek. Go ahead. I Well, thank you for having me, first of all. And I'm, I'm hesitant to speak to something that the judge made a decision not to share. He, uh, I don't know if everyone's aware of this, but there was a hearing um, about what parts of the report should and should not be published in its various forms. And the list, well, the sections that were removed were consciously chosen to be removed. And I don't want to say I have better judgment than the judge. That's totally understandable. Is it, would you say, when it comes to, there are, indi- there are indictments recommended, of course. Is it yes. more than 12 people? Is it more than 20 people? I think if you look at the page numbers of the report, there's about six pages in the middle that got cut out. Allow for spacing. All right, we're going to continue this. I have to take a hard break. So she just said there's six pages in the middle allowing for sh- spacing. It's not a short list meaning there's a recommendation that a lot of people are going to be indicted. She was not free to, to say that. So the judge specifically, well, I'll read what she says. I think if you look at the page numbers of the report, there's about six pages in the middle that got cut out, meaning the judge said, no, don't release those. Allowing for spacing, it's not a short list. Not a short list, she asked the reporter. I mean, When it comes to 75 witnesses, I assume, of course, it's not 75 people. Would you characterize it as 20-ish people? I can't say I counted. Okay, more than a dozen. Though I think I had heard you say in another interview, I believe so. That's probably a good assumption. That is more than a dozen. Sounds to me she violated the judge's decision, the order. Those are six pages you're not supposed to be talking about, and she's talking about them. In any event... Going to need some good, strong defense lawyers, and they need to take aim at the DA and this jury. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best, the best of Mark Levin. You know, this COVID money, it's just unbelievable. First of all, tens of billions of dollars in fraud. Just out the window. And then they're in this battle, the Democrats saying they can't cut one penny, not one penny, from the ominous, omnibus, monstrous bill that they passed in November with the help of Mitch McConnell and the other rhinos. And so now they say, we're going to shut down the government by June, and we'll go broke, and it'll be the fault of the Republicans. It'll be the fault of McConnell, because these Republicans in the House are trying to do the right thing. They're trying to save our country from a complete, utter financial breakdown. But what do they mean there's nothing we can cut? Chuck Schumer says, we want your budget. Okay, here's my budget. Take the COVID monies out of the baseline. It's been used for everything but COVID. I want you to listen to this. And try not to get angry. I'll get angry for us. From Fox Business, a growing list of municipalities across the United States are looking to set up reparations programs for black residents, and some of them are considering using COVID-19 relief funds to pay the initiatives. It's a slush fund for everything Democrat and everything Marxist. 
Critics argue using funds from the American Rescue Plan to bankroll social justice initiatives are a misuse of federal taxpayer dollars, but proponents are defending the use of pandemic money as a way to reduce disparities when it comes to housing and narrowing the wealth gap. Okay, attention America. It's not up to the government to quote-unquote narrow the wealth gap. It's none of the damn government's business. Why is there a wealth gap? There could be a thousand reasons why there's a wealth gap. Number one, the word freedom. People are motivated by different things. Some people are motivated by making a fortune. Some people aren't motivated by money at all. Some people are lazy as hell and they're on the public dole. Some people are on the public dole because they're, they've got issues that they are trying to address, whether it's they've recently been fired or whatever it is. In other words, what do you mean you're trying to close the wealth gap? And how do you close the wealth gap? Well, they don't make poor people richer. They make rich people poorer. That's what they're talking about. This is Marxist problem. Vernon Amy church pastor Robert Turner holds a sign after leading a protest from City Hall back to his church in the Greenwood neighborhood. Ah, whatever. That's a misreading. That's under a photo. Here we go. Box Business identified at least 10 cities, states, and counties that have recently considered using some sort of reparations program. Why are we paying reparations at all? You know, we passed the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments at the end of the 1860s, well after the Civil War. The Civil War was fought, 700,000 casualties. How are we going to determine who gets money? I'm quite serious about this. How do we know, just if we even wanted to do it, how do we know who came here when? We have illegal immigrants in the country over the past 50 years? People who've come from all corners of the world, some of whom are black and brown and white. You know, the whole rainbow coalition, as Jesse Jackson calls it, fine. What kind of proof are they going to need? I guess Ancestry.com will be very busy. But this is ridiculous, paying reparations. This is just more Marxist Democrat pablum. And I'll tell you what. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again so the backbenchers can remember to regurgitate it. If we're going to pay reparations, it's not we. It's the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party should be paying reparations. The Democrat Party supported slavery. The Democrat Party fought for slavery. The Democrat Party after the Civil War... Help foster the Ku Klux Klan. The Democrat Party, the party of Woodrow Wilson, promoted segregation. The Democrat Party opposed federal anti-lynching laws, including the great FDR. Those were Democrat governors who stood in in the doorways of schools to prevent little black kids from going to school with little white kids. It was Joe Biden who opposed little black kids going to school with little white kids. It's the Democrat Party that filibustered the 1964 Civil Rights Act and opposed the 1965 
Civil Rights Act. It's the Democrat Party that promoted Jim Crow and including literacy tests and poll taxes and all the rest of it. Was Democrats, or were Democrats on the Supreme Court that upheld slavery? Taney, the Chief Justice at the time. Democrats on the Supreme Court, they ruled in the Plessy versus Ferguson case that separate. Separate but equal is equal. And I could go on and on and on. So if anyone's to pay reparations, it's the Democrat Party. Not everybody. And I'm quite serious about this. But let's go on. This is your COVID money. COVID. You got here 10 cities, states, counties that want to use some sort of COVID funds for reparations. It's just unbelievable. Officials in Shelby County, Tennessee, that includes Memphis. They're going to vote on whether to spend $5 million in pandemic relief money to study the possibility of longer-term reparations. There was some guy on radio, African-American show, but a big one. I think the guy's Charlemagne the God or whatever his name is, and he had a guest on there who said $5 trillion, that's the number. $5 trillion. So it's shakedown time. Remember when I interviewed Shelby Steele, great man. And his message was, we are free. He's African-American. He said, we're free. Go do whatever you want. We're free. But the Democrat Party needs racism. The Democrat Party more and more needs anti-Semitism. The Democrat Party needs anti-Asianism. Is that what we call it? I don't know. Commissioner Edmund Ford Jr., who's co-sponsoring the proposal, defended the use of these funds for the program, telling Fox Business in a statement that the negative impacts of the pandemic include assistance to households and communities while promoting affordable housing, assistance to small businesses and nonprofits. This is not going to be a process that is issuing checks to black people in Shelby County, adding the process of community reparations. Provides an ecosystem to intentionally track and promote black wealth while providing access to... Ah, shut the hell up. I'm sick of this. This is money. You know, here's the thing. We've got a government that prosecutes people for Ponzi schemes for misallocation of funds, for maladministration. We've got regulations. We've got agencies. We've got investigators. We have agents. They're all over the damn place trying to find private businesses that are doing what the federal government does every damn day and is does it righteously, right? At least self-righteously. They raised all this tax money. Applied it towards COVID, a pandemic, and now they're using it for leftist causes. 
left-wing causes. This is an absolute misuse of taxpayer dollars. Our buddy Byron Donalds, who's also African-American, is outrageous that cities would use pandemic relief funds to pay for reparations programs. There are wide disagreements on the topic, he said, to use pandemic spending on something that Congress did not vote for or approve. For localities to say they're going to basically repurpose the funds for this, this is outrageous and should not occur. That's right. There's no statute that was passed for this. Our representatives didn't have an opportunity to vote on it. We didn't have an opportunity to comment on it to our representatives. It's like Biden with his damn executive orders. Like he's Benito Mussolini. Except Benito Mussolini had the trains running on time. Biden can't even keep him on the tracks. By the way, Mr. Environment, Mr. Joe Biden, isn't it amazing? You have an environmental disaster part of the country. And this guy Biden is as far away from it as possible. He's barely talked about it. And to the extent that the Democrat propagandists and demagogues talk about it, they blame it on Donald Trump. Surprised they haven't blamed it on Donald Duck. Donald Trump? That's how sick these people are. They take responsibility for nothing. Nothing. The View, Joy Reid, bigot racist, and the rest of them. Isn't it amazing that the Marxists among us are all Democrats? In the media, they're all Democrats. The tenured professor, they're all Democrats. They all vote Democrat. Because this is what the Democrat Party has become. Turns out one of the ball bearings overheated, if I understand it correctly, on the train. And the, and the engineer tried to slow the train down right before the accident. And the National Transportation Safety Board chair has said this was absolutely preventable, absolutely preventable. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But it wasn't the tracks. It was the train. It was a ball bearing that overheated.